Let's see if we can do Daniel. All right. I'm not going to read through the passage. It'll take up more time. We're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We ask that you guide and direct us through this passage of scripture, that you would speak to our hearts and minds, and that you would uh, give us a greater insight and understanding into the life and ministry of Daniel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you remember Daniel and his friends were taken captive into Babylon. They were part of the upper class of Israel. They were members of the royal family, if you were. They were all related in some way to uh, the king, princes of Israel, if you will. And so they are um, sent to be trained, a three-year training program that they could then come and serve in the court of the king. The king recognized Daniel and his friends as being exceptionally intelligent, physically attractive. They had all the right stuff, if you will. And so we pick it up in verse 5 where the king appointed them for a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Them, of course, as Daniel and his associates, a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. So they were to be fed the finest and richest of foods in keeping with their positions as interns in the royal court. And then they were to have three years of training. Uh, interestingly, this is the same amount of time Jesus dedicated to the training of the apostles. But um, we've talked about the variations between the accession year, the first year of reign, how it was viewed by the the Jewish people, how it was viewed by the Babylonians. So the accession year of Nebuchadnezzar was the first year of Daniel and his friends' training. The first full year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign was the second year of their training. And the second year of his reign was the third year of their training because under the Babylonian system, the year of accession is not counted. But their training actually began during his year of accession. So at the end of that time, they might serve before the king or enter the king's service. So after their training, their college degree, if you will, uh, they were to go on active duty serving as advisors to the king. They would become, you might say, civil servants uh, within the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 6, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, better known, of course, we'll see here in a moment, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. He gave um, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So in order to make these young men more Babylonian, fit them into the culture with their new positions and so forth, their names were changed. Similarly, this happened to Joseph. Remember when Joseph was taken into bondage and slavery in Egypt, and ultimately God raised him up to the second in command. Joseph's Egyptian name was Zaphonath Paneah on uh, Genesis 41-45. And then Esther, remember Queen Esther? Her Hebrew name was actually Hadassah. Uh, Esther was her Babylonian name, Esther 2-7. Now Daniel's name, the Hebrew means God is judge. That's a good name. That's true. We kind of talked about that this morning. God is the judge. But Belteshazzar, his Babylonian name means Mabel, B-E-L, which is a pagan god. 
may Bel protect his life. Well, Daniel knew all along it wasn't Bel protecting his life. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hananiah, the Hebrew name, means Yahweh is gracious. That's a good one too, isn't it? Our God is gracious. He's full of grace and mercy and love. Shadrach possibly means command of Aku. Aku was the moon god. By the way, who else is the moon god? Allah. Mishael means who is what God is. No one is like God. Who is what God is? He's the greatest. That's a good name. But Meshach may mean who is what Aku is. Azariah, his name means whom Yahweh helps. That's another good name. God does help his people. But Abednego means servant of Nebo. Not Nemo, the little fish, but Nebo. So in each case, the Hebrew name contains a name for the true God, either L or I-A-H, which is an abbreviation for Yahweh, Hananiah, Azariah. These are uh, abbreviations of Yahweh. But the Babylonian name contains the name of a heathen god. I guess we know what Nebuchadnezzar was up to here, don't we? Was it political or spiritual? <laughs> Both. Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself by eating meat that had not been slain in accordance with the Mosaic law, by, by drinking wine that had been offered to a pagan god, and so forth. Exodus thirty-four fourteen: You shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. This was the warning to the Israelites as they were going into the land of Canaan. And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice. What we're experiencing today, folks, in our country is very much like that. This is a post-Christian nation. This is a pagan land we're living in. And we are daily being challenged. We cannot give in. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land... Okay, I give up. You're right. Gay marriage is okay. Homosexuality is okay. We need to reinterpret the Bible. That's what that Scottish minister that said he, we need to begin to support gay marriage. He said we need to re-look re, re at the Bible in view of modern knowledge and understanding that we now have. And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. That's exactly what's happening right now. And they're sacrificing our children to their gods. Do you know that? Are we doing anything about it? We better be. We better be talking to people, warning people, telling people, make phone calls. Whenever people do intervene, a lot of times these things are canceled. But the problem is people don't intervene often enough. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself now notice, Daniel did not take his stand in a rebellious way. He requested of the chief of the eunuchs, the guy in charge, that he might not defile himself. He trusted God to help him in his choice, but he made the choice. I don't know how many times I've talked to people. Say, well, I'd really like to come to church, but I have to work on Sundays, and 
well, did you ask for Sunday off? No, I don't want to make waves. Really? You don't have to be rebellious or disrespectful, but go to your boss, go to your employer and say, you know what? The number one thing in my life is God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I need to be able to go to church on Sunday and worship with the body of Christ. I would like to have Sunday off. The worst he can say is no. Or maybe you're fired. <laughs> okay, verse 9. And again, I guess there are other opportunities, but this is pretty much, in America today, the number one opportunity for the body of Christ to gather is on Sunday mornings. And there was a time when all the businesses closed down on Sunday mornings, and none of the kids had athletic games on Sunday, but now they all do. Nobody gives a rip about God or the worship of God. They have their games on Sundays. They have their photograph sessions on Sundays. No big deal. Verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. God honored Daniel's faith and trust by giving him favor with his heathen boss. God can do that. Do you know that? And it didn't happen because Daniel compromised or backed down. He stood his ground in a very respectful way and God honored it. One of my favorite passages in scriptures, Proverbs 3, beginning of verse 1. Solomon writing to his son, my son, do not forget my law. And of course, this is actually God speaking through Solomon. Let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. So many people are afraid to keep God's commands. They're afraid of men. They're afraid of this world. Proverbs also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let your heart keep my commands for length of days, long life, peace, they will add to you. These are promises from God. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. How many of you know what happens when you lean to your own understanding? Been there, done that? Yeah, me too, me too. Been there, done that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. All your ways. And He shall direct your paths. Wonderful, glorious promises from God to those who keep His commands, those who bind His word onto their hearts, around their neck. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All right, verse 10. Daniel 1.10. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel... I fear my Lord the King. Hello. <laughs> we just talked about the fear of men. I fear my Lord the King who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the King. So the chief was sympathetic to Daniel's request. He wanted to grant it, but he was afraid of what might happen if Daniel and his friends started looking anemic or unhealthy, emaciated. And it would seem, obviously, that it wasn't just Daniel who requested this, but his associates as well. Because he says, we'll see here in a moment. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they've got this steward who's under the chief of the eunuchs, the guard, he's the guard, 
And apparently the chief was reluctant to grant the request for fear of his own harm, so Daniel appeals to his assistant, the guard who watched over them. He says in verse 12, Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Of course, this has come to be known as the Daniel fast. It's not a fast from all food, but a fast from everything but vegetables and water in this case because apparently everything else being offered to them was considered unclean for them as Jews. Verse 13, Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. In other words, okay, can we do this? Give it a try for 10 days. If we don't look at least as good, if not better, than the other Babylonian counterparts, then we'll go back on your diet. Very wise, attempting to hold his ground, but negotiating with this man. Again, we see the great faith and trust in God that this young man Daniel possessed. He trusted God, not food, for his nourishment and sustenance. And as Daniel stepped out in faith, God gave him the wisdom and the insight to formulate a plan that would satisfy those in authority over him. James 1.5, another scripture that I love, if any of you lacks wisdom, and boy, we all lack wisdom from time to time, don't we? We need it. We need God's help. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Don't go down to the cheers bar on the corner seeking wisdom. Where everybody knows your name, you know. Go to God, who gives to all liberally. God doesn't say, well, if you come and ask, I might just give you a little tiny bit of wisdom. No, he gives liberally to those who ask without reproach. God never will treat you like a big dummy. God loves it when his people go to him and ask for wisdom. He loves to impart wisdom to his people without reproach, and it will be given to him. Another promise, folks. God promises if you sincerely go to him seeking wisdom, he will give it to you. I guess the bigger question is, once he gives it to you, are you going to listen? Are you going to follow it? Verse 14, so he consented this guard... This steward, right underneath the chief of the eunuchs, he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Now, you could argue the case that this diet of vegetables and water may have had a cleansing effect on their bodies, but I never heard of anybody looking fatter and fuller from eating only vegetables and drinking water for 10 days of you. In most cases, you would see a reduction of body fat. So I propose this is not a natural phenomenon. I fully believe their amazing appearance was a direct result of God's supernatural intervention. And it came about as a result of their faith and their trust in God. Their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. That had to have blown everyone's minds, wouldn't you say? Verse 16, Thus the steward, the guard, took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So it would seem, this is how I interpret this, I'm sure they didn't have food and wine sitting there for 10 days just kind of rotting. 
But I think what happened on the tenth day, the steward fully expected to find Daniel and his buddies in bad shape. And so he had brought them the rich foods, the delicacies, the wine, expecting that they were going to lose the bet. And now they would be ready to indulge in the king's delicacies. But instead, no, he took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them more vegetables. Every mother's dream. Eat your vegetables, Johnny. Verse 17, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So as a result of their faithfulness, their dedication, their commitment to God, he blessed them with the capability of learning many amazing things. I've experienced this in my own life, probably many of you have as well, but God can and will take the talents and abilities that we are born with. Everybody's born with certain talents, certain abilities, some in one direction, some in another. But God will take those talents and abilities and he will multiply them and magnify them when we use them for his glory. And much of what is described here can be related to the workings and gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. John 14, 26, the helper, the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Do you think Daniel and his friends had help from the Holy Spirit there in their college days in Babylon? Absolutely. And bring you to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us, He leads us, He guides us, He helps us. Just like what happened here with Daniel and the three other guys. Acts 2.7 Peter's preaching before a large crowd of about 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there in the upper room grabbed everyone's attention and so he has a large crowd to speak to and he's telling them he's explaining what has just transpired with this move of the Holy Spirit it shall come to pass in the last days says God so Peter was equating that time there which really we consider to be the beginning of the New Testament church he was equating it with the last days you realize we've been in the last days for 2,000 years the only difference is now we are in the last of the last of the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And not meaning that God's going to pour out his spirit on the unbelieving, the unrighteous, the wicked, but all flesh. We see what he means here. Your sons and your daughters people who are part of God's family shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And this is what goes on to happen, especially with Daniel, as he's called in to interpret the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then he has visions and so forth throughout his life. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one each one in the body of Christ is what Paul's writing about here. Every born-again, spirit-filled believer, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. This is where some people go astray when they get involved in 
trying to study, learn about the gifts of the Spirit, learn how to use them. A lot of people see it as a means to showing everybody else how spiritual they are, you know, see what I can do, this type of thing. But it's really for the benefit of the whole body. When God gives you a spiritual gift, it's to bless somebody else. Whether it's the gift of encouragement, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, whatever it might be, let's read that. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Those gifts become in particularly handy when you're involved in counseling, ministering to people. God will give you wisdom, insight, understanding into their situation. To another, faith by the same Spirit. That's something we really need in the body of Christ. There are those who seem to have just a particularly high level of faith, a gift of faith which can propel ministries and churches forward to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues and so what we see happening here with Daniel and his friends is really a, a foretaste of what happens to every believer in the New Testament the working of the Spirit of God in our lives and in Daniel and his friends case it had to do with them being able to amass great amounts of knowledge and learning and understanding and even moving into the supernatural realm of interpretation of dreams and so forth. And it all happened because of their, their steadfastness, their commitment, their faith, their trust in God that as they honored their God by refusing the king's delicacies, God honored that, gave them favor with the powers that be, and they excelled above and beyond all the rest. Verse 18, now at the end of the days, when the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. Again, what a tremendous example. If we want to get more people, more God-fearing, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people in positions of power and authority we don't get there by compromising and backing down but God just placed four of his men in the court of a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar and gave them powerful influence there the king found Daniel and his companions to be the most outstanding young men out of all those going through the Chaldean college if you will how many times have believers missed out on God's biggest and best blessings by not being willing to take a stand for Christ. I would say the bolder the stand, the bigger the blessing. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten, listen to this folks, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Ten times. I have something here I don't know if I should say or not. You may find that hard to believe. <laughs> should I skip it? <laughs> uh, I don't want to come off as sounding harsh or judgmental or anything like that, but I take issue with parents who allow their children to decide for themselves where and by whom they will be educated. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be homeschooled. I don't want to go to Christian school. It's too small. 
There's not enough kids to hang out with. I'll never have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I would say, good. <laughs> there aren't enough extracurricular activities. I don't want to study the Bible. If I go to Christian school, I've got to study the Bible. It's horrible. I've shared before how I got to go to a Christian school for one semester when I was in the sixth grade, and I loved it. I loved studying the Bible. I'd grown up in Sunday school. I had a love for God and His Word, and that was just the most exciting thing to me, that I could actually go to school and study, you know, reading and writing and arithmetic, like they used to say. But I also got to study the Bible. That was really cool. That was really fun. Here's what I would tell that kid. Fine, when you're an adult, you can make your own decisions. But until then, you don't get to decide. This is language parents don't know about today. I'm the parent, you're the child, deal with it. Hello. My Uncle Earl, when I was 17, or two months before my 17th birthday, my mother died, you know the story, many of you, moved to California to live with my aunt and uncle. One of the first pronouncements he made upon my arrival was, we go to church every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning and every Sunday night, and you will be going. I'm a long-haired, guitar-playing rebel, and my uncle just tells me, you're going to go to church three times a week. End of story. But I, I did it. I obeyed him. Because in my generation, we were taught to obey authority. <laughs> even if you're a rebel. Even if you're a rebel, you still had a certain amount of respect for authority. And you know what? That edict, that unwavering edict by my uncle... You don't have a choice. We go every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you are going with us. It changed my life. It changed my life. So don't tell me that you as the parent deciding what's best for your children is being mean and hateful and abusive. Let me tell you what's mean and hateful and abusive. Letting them run the show. Letting them make the decisions. And then when they grow up, I want to tell you something, even under the best of circumstances, and I've got some good adult kids, they're not perfect, none of us are. Even under the best of circumstances, being the parent of an adult child is much harder than being the parent of a small child. <laughs> because they're making bigger, more important decisions, and you have no control whatsoever over those decisions. Unless they choose to listen to you, which they usually don't. So if once they grow up, you don't have any say in what they do, it can inflict a lot more pain on you than it did when they were little. You better keep control while you still can. Because the day will come when you can't. And if you don't do it right now, when they're not adults yet, and I know most of you guys don't have small children here today. Hopefully somebody's getting something out of this. But if you don't do the right thing now when they're young, you're going to pay the price big time when they're grown up. Hello? Hello? A lot of you know what I'm talking about. You have suffered through the pain of troubled adult children because, oh, when they were little, they made the decisions, they ran the show, you were just along for the ride. Now they're taking you on a big ride. So that's what I was uncomfortable sharing, but I think I'm glad I did. As I said, my uncle's edict 
Forcing me to go to church as a 17-year-old changed my life for the good, for the positive. It whipped me into shape in short order. I got right with God. But look at what we've, we've been facing over the past few years. Sandy Hook, remember that one? That guy who killed all the kids in Sandy Hook. Parkland, Florida, school shooting. The latest one, Uvalde, Texas. So how's that working out for you? You tell me. All right, verse 21. Oh, there he goes with those politics again. Really? Is deranged, mentally ill young people going out, gunning down tons of their peers and people younger and older than them? Is that political? That's spiritual, folks. That's the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. That's demonic, satanic versus the spirit of God. That is absolutely spiritual. Verse 21, then Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel, who was among the first captives taken, who lived to see, he lived to see the official end of the exile in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Ezra 1.1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. The proclamation that he gave was this. He gave an edict for the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and Daniel lived to see that day. He didn't die right away, but a few years later, he still had a few more tricks up his sleeve. Daniel 10.1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Then 11.1 of Daniel, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So Daniel, chronologically over his lifetime, served as a high official in Babylon, and he lived to be close to 100 years old, much like the Apostle John in the New Testament. But Daniel served as a high official in Babylon under several kings, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 2, 48 and 49, and then a series of kings which are not mentioned in the Bible, evil Merodach, How'd you like to have that guy for your ruler? Evil Merodach. Sounds like something out of a Marvel comics or something. Evil Merodach, Nergal Sharizer, Labashi Marduk, and then under Nabonidus and Belshazzar, who was the son of Nabonidus and co-regent with him in Babylon. Belshazzar was the one that had the writing on the wall that Daniel interpreted. Meeny, meeny, tekelu, farsen. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Daniel served under all these guys. So Nabonidus and Belshazzar, who was the son of Nabonidus and co-regent with him in Babylon at the time of the fall of Babylon to Persia, Daniel 5, 29 and 31. And then he continued under Darius the Mede and finally under Cyrus of Persia, Daniel 6, 28. The last two or three chapters of Daniel have to do with Daniel's visions and prophecies concerning human history, the end times and the coming of the Messiah. We've got a lot of great stuff ahead of us. Let's stand. Let's all bow our heads for a moment. Just focus on the Lord. I'm going to ask for a show of hands for those who have prayer requests this morning. Raise them up high. I see them. God sees them. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we desperately need that in this increasingly dark world we live in. God, give us hope. Give us faith. Give us strength. Lord, we don't talk about all these things that we've talked about today so that we can become depressed and bummed out but so that we can be strengthened and energized. Lord, if we are to be 
more than conquerors, which your word says we are, then we need to be equipped for the battle. We need to be trained. We need to be put on the full armor of God that we can stand firm against the slings and arrows of the enemy, Father, those fiery darts that he fires at us. We thank you for the shield of faith that blocks those from us, the helmet of salvation that guards our hearts and our minds, the belt of truth. Lord, if we didn't have the belt of truth on, our pants would fall down. We thank you for your armor, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, help us to continue to walk in righteousness. We know we can only do that by your grace, by your mercy, by the power of your Holy Spirit. But I lift up, Father, all these people who have raised their hand this morning. Lord, some have health issues. We pray for healing. Lord, whether it be for a recent surgery, a recent injury, for Liz Pete with her latest injury to her leg. Lord, for others that are struggling with various health issues, for Faye Beckwar and the continued healing of her broken arm, for Greg and his various issues. Lord, so many here today with physical issues, health issues, we pray that you'd pour out your healing upon your people, Lord, for Carla with her recent foot surgery. Lord, there's probably too many for me to name this morning, but you know each one, and we pray that you would bless them with healing from on high. We pray for mental and emotional issues. Those can be sometimes more debilitating than the physical ones. We pray for healing of hearts and minds, for healing from depression, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, and unforgiveness, Lord, these extremely damaging feelings and emotions. And we talked about how it starts in the mind and the enemy tries to set up strongholds in our minds. We ask you to tear them down by the power of the Holy Spirit. Deliver those, Lord, who are struggling with these things that they might have that freedom, Lord, that you said you came to bring. You came to, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And we ask that you would do that today for those calling out to you, Father. We know you are faithful. You will not leave us or forsake us. You will not let us down. Lord, you told us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Ask and we would receive. Seek and we would find. Knock and the door would be opened unto us. Father, we ask you to open the door to freedom, to healing. In Jesus' name. Pray for financial issues, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance that we might be good stewards over the resources you've given us. We've talked today about how our dedication, our commitment, our faithfulness will result in great blessing and reward. Help us to stay on the right track, on the right path. And Lord, sometimes it's beyond our control. We've done nothing wrong, but things arise in our lives that create financial problems. We ask you to provide for each one here today that has a financial need, whether it be for a job, a new job, a better job. Maybe they have no job. Please bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, and provide for them. We ask in Jesus' name. And finally, we pray for relationships. We know that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, to break people apart, to break up families, to break up marriages, to break up friendships, especially friendships between believers like David and Jonathan. Lord, we all need that friend who sticks closer than a brother. Help us to seek out those kinds of friendships and those kind of relationships. And we pray for healing where damage has been done and help us to be the first to be those who would move towards reconciliation restoration, forgiveness. Help us to be peacemakers, and we pray for healing and restoration of all these various relationships. We thank you, God. We praise you. We honor you here today. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, 
And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.